In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by Grammy Award-winning composer, songwriter, actress, and artist, Angelique Snaney. Man, Angelique is such a great person. We had a really awesome conversation, and we talked about so many amazing things from um, her being, her setting herself, enrolling herself into boarding school after losing her mother at the age of 13 and ultimately going to the University of Virginia, graduating from there, and then getting her start with uh, well-known producer Dima Wett as a songwriter and an artist and falling in love, falling out of love being an artist um, because of a shady manager, but then coming back to it later through co-writing and realizing that she just, you know, wanted to continue her creativity and then her moving to L.A. to pursue her acting career and connecting with people like John Legend, Smokey Robinson, just to name a few. Uh, we ended the episode talking about how the music industry doesn't really value songwriters as producers and as far as a fair wage for the work that they're doing and the fact that you don't see that many women as producers doing uh, great work and being paid accordingly for their work. So this was a great episode. We're actually going to have to do a part two because we didn't get to cover everything we wanted to cover. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Guys, welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. It's episode number 71, and I've got a very special guest with me. All my guests are special, by the way. <laughs> but I got another special guest with me, my new friend, Angelique. Am I saying the right Sinaloo? How do I how do I say it? My... Well, my first name is Angelique. Actually. Angelique. Angelique. Yeah, I want to get it. I want to get it right. I want to get it right. I appreciate that. You know? And it's it's Tinelu. Tinelu, got it. Yeah. Like, like people, like people say my last name. They always say Per, but it's Peart. Peart. So okay. Yeah. Was, I was gonna ask yeah. if it was Peart because it could be Peart. Yeah. yeah or Peart. I was gonna ask. Yeah. yeah it's okay. Peart. Yeah, Peart. But people always say Peart. They like they take the A out for some reason. I don't yeah, know why. Oh <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it is what it is, you know. So I want to make sure we get it right. We want to get it right. So I have two accents on my name, so but a I, lot of times you don't see that. Yeah, no, I noticed it. I noticed the um uh, the the accent letters. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I paid <laughs> I paid attention to that, you know. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. So um yeah, we got connected through our mutual friend Curtis Richardson. Man, what a great dude! Uh, mm-hmm. Really enjoyed getting to know him. We him and I actually met through this conference called New School Rules. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, Hacker Maduro, she, you know, it's a top urban music conference in Europe that's catered to urban music. So, yeah, yeah so uh, I've been working with New School Rules now for like the last three years officially as a partner. But I, I first went to the first event with them, my first event with them in 2018. So Hacker Maduro... Uh, and her husband Greg, they run that conference. That's in Rotterdam, in the Netherlands. 
Okay. I've only been to Rotterdam. Um, I went to a club that I stayed in for maybe 15 minutes and then I headed right back on to Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been to both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Europe is Europe is different, man. Europe is uh Europe is definitely interesting. Really small. Like the everything in Europe is small compared to the States. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like so I'm I'm half European. Um, okay. my father is French and, okay. um, I go there, I go to France. I, I try to get there once a year, you know, since I moved to Los Angeles, it's further. So it's, it's a lot harder and more yeah. expensive. Um, yeah, but I'm, yeah. it's always tripping me out because my family, I mean, they have seen the whole country, you know, they're very, and they're familiar because they frequent all these different cities, you know, in France and for them, it's nothing. And then I realized, oh yeah, our country is like four times bigger in their whole country. <laughs> right. And I'm like, yeah, like y'all are bragging about knowing your whole country, but your country is like this big in comparison right. to ours. <laughs> well, I, right, I've been to Cannes. I haven't been. Mm, yeah, nice. so yeah, cause, yeah, because um, I used to go to the Medem conference, the Medem. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I've been to Cannes several times. Um, very, Not that much you do in Cannes, actually. <laughs> Other than the beach, no. that's pretty much it, you know? Unless and, you have an event to yeah. go to then but it is beautiful yeah it is yeah so i but i've been to um let's see i've been to france three times been to the netherlands a couple times been to mumbai india we've been to valencia mm. spain uh where mm. else have we gone to um toronto so i've been to like six or seven different countries over the years so it's been pretty Amazing. cool <laughs> yeah, that is cool. I I love to travel, so yeah. I think that you know, I, I I wish and I hope that more people have the opportunity and more people that look like us Absolutely. have the opportunity to see other parts of the, world. the world. Right, just from just from perspective, yeah, at the very least, you know, uh, to understand, you know, we we live here in the states. Um, it's a lot different than we live than being over in other places. The food is better over there. Oh, yeah, because they don't have all that stuff in there. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get, like, beer and wine and, like, steak and shake and stuff like that. Oh, man. I mean, also, it's like the wine is cheaper. I'm a big wine person. So okay. um, I really appreciate the price point for some really good wine, right. um, especially in Europe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even and you know being French too just like to get a loaf of baguette you know oh, yeah. out here I gotta pay five dollars I'm like out there that'd be like one euro and one right. euro you know now is expensive I hear my grandmother complaining about how much one euro is for, for some bread <laughs> yeah 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> it's interesting for sure for sure um, so were you, um, were you you were born in the states I'm born and bred Jersey girl. I know okay. that I am, um, you know, but I'm definitely half French. I ha I have those both sides, but I am, um, sure. I, I am true blue Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was born in Brooklyn. My parents are Jamaican, both sides. Oh, nice. I love Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. I've actually never I love been. Jamaicans too. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. What? I've never been. Oh, come on. You got to go, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never been. And one of the reasons why is because my dad's like, where we're from is like, the, the country part of the island, right? And mm. so it's not very conducive for people like me with like a disability try to get around like in Jamaica like that. So that's like, not that I don't want to take it. It's just that like, 
it's you know it's not as easy to get around it's easy for him to get around but yeah. for me it's for me just thinking about like how hard it is for me sometimes to get around like it's just not they're not equipped with the same stuff over there that they have over here you know so I imagine so, so he's like yeah you know so it is I mean it. you don't have to go I would be nice to go but you know and the country is nice I've, I yeah. have been able to go out there but um there's so much, you know, even in the city, in Kingston, and right. um, yeah, for yeah. you to see. Yeah, my dad is from Saint Elizabeth, the Saint Elizabeth Parish, and my mom is from Mandeville, so her side. So okay. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I've never been, but you know, both my sides, both sides of my family, Jamaican, both sides. So, Amazing. but I, but you know, me and my sister, we were born here. We were born in New York. So okay. and I'm raised and raised it. I moved to Orlando in 1993, and I've been here. Oh, ever wow! Since. I live yeah, so I live in Orlando, Florida. So you know, Mickey Mouse town. <laughs> yeah, I know a few folks from Orlando. Actually, one of my really good friends. She's originally from Lake City, which is okay. Yeah, outside, you know, a little country country yeah, that's girl. That's country. That's country. That is country. Yeah, country, country girl. But then she moved to Orlando, and then we met up when I um I live was living in New York. We both lived in New York, so that's how okay. we linked up. So that's my that's my country girl. Yeah, yeah. Orlando girl. Yeah, so Orlando, you know, the scene here in Orlando, I've been in the music scene here for a little while. I mean, we're not ever going to be a hub. We're not Atlanta, we're not LA, we're not, but we have so much talent in our city, man. There's so much, and we're finally coming together a little bit more as a city as far as creating opportunity, but we're not ever, we're not ever going to be, I think we should try to be, but we're not ever going to be, uh, I would say, a hub. You know, for talent. I mean, obviously, you know, it's hard though nowadays to have a hub. You know, really, like what really dictated, oh, at least in my opinion, what dictated a hub for music was really, you know, who came out of there and, right. and where they went. And then it's sort of like, but because everybody was working together, you right. know, it sort of generated this this trickle down effect. You know, and so right. everybody had their they would have these moments, but because everything is is remote even even within a city you know people or individuals are working in clusters and they're working mm -hmm. you know also right this the studio dynamic has changed like mm -hmm. people are not going to big studios so you don't have like this community in right. a space where people are going from room to room right. you know people are working in their bedrooms they're working in their homes now mm -hmm. so it is it's it's hard to have that sense of of yeah. like you said a, a hub um, I don't know if that'll ever happen again. Probably, yeah. uh, probably not. Because they used to, I mean, the adage used to be, especially, especially since the early 2000s, okay, if you're going to do urban music, you got to go through Atlanta. But now that's changed because, you know, because it's fragmented. The internet's changed everything. The internet made everything different. You can be in Ohio, Cleveland somewhere, to do what you're doing and pop off, you know, and, still, and still make it happen. So now, I do believe you, if you're in some small little town, you probably should go to your nearest biggest city, just because there's there's more, more opportunity. If you got a town of like 5,000 people, yeah. I mean, I just think you probably, you don't necessarily need to go to LA. I don't advise anybody to go to run to like the industry hub right away. Because if you're not prepared, because this thing will eat, eat you up and spit you out a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's horrible. I was just on a call, you know, um, actually Curtis Richardson was on the call with me because we are, we've de developed actually um, uh, a, a couple of um, music education programs and, and they're different. Yeah, he was um, telling me, he was telling me about that. He actually wanted to, he actually wanted to get me involved in, 
he can't yes. talk about too too much about it, but he's like, Dora, like when we get it set up. Yes. Man, I'm calling. Absolutely. <laughs> he mentioned you and then um and then you know, we we've talked about it um more, but you know, we're part of um a a a group of people called the Flock Formation and um we have created this thing called Web Three Innovation Festival and the first mm-hmm. iteration was a be in Ibiza. And then Curtis and I, you know, um, an offset of that is called One Campus, which we've uh, we've delved into music education, but um, very much where we can meld the creative and the business side because the yeah. business side is very intimidating, especially because most of us came in to this business with like the love and passion and spirit of the creative. And we negate the business because we feel like it tampers with, you know, our creative spirit, our creative flow, but it's just not a a functional way to approach really anything, you know what I mean? And so what we've tried to do, and I I think that we've done, we've created a program where, (laughs) you know, somebody can do this from the, from the beginning of, of their journey of their creative journey or even in the middle of it it's just we we work with them at the same time and in ways that we we hope are not as intimidating you know because publishing is intimidating master rights copyrights is intimidating and i'm dealing with a situation right now where i'm you know and I've learned through mistakes. That's really how I mean. And I, most, and I, that's how most people learn. Like my right? my mentor Michelle Vice Maston. She always says she learned through the school of hard knocks. You know, she's been doing it since nineteen the mid eighties. You know, and uh, she's like, there was no, there wasn't nobody to teach you. There was nothing. Yeah. Was, there was no. You didn't have a sink. It was like, oh, put the song in the movie. It wasn't so. Well, they, yeah, they liked us young and dumb too. That's the yeah. other thing. They like you young and dumb, and so that's yeah. why they say they didn't want artists. You know, especially female artists. They didn't especially, want artists right. after a certain age because you know once they get hit to the game, they're trying to get rid of you. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it, it's you know. Um, what were, we, what were we talking about? How did we get on this journey? We were talking about. Um, we were talking about. We were talking about. So you started the, um, the innovation yes. test, right? Yeah, but we saw we saw a real need. You know, we both speak. Um, you know, to with to different schools, um, yeah. internationally, domestically, and and we both saw that people really responded to. Um, that sort of information about the business, but with a, you know, there's a personal touch because this is real life experience, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not, I've, I've experienced a lot of gatekeeping in mm-hmm. the industry, a lot of suppression. Mm-hmm. And it's both of our missions to really um, make, give people the tools they need to be the masters of their inspiration, of their right. own inspiration. I love that. I love that. <laughs> And the only way to do that, I really think, is that you have to, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be their own manager or their own lawyer because mm-hmm. we're not all capable. We don't all have the time. We don't all have the capacity. But you are much better equipped to choose your manager, to choose your lawyer, to know what they are supposed to be doing, yeah. you know, to know if you have, you know, if you're blessed to have a, an opportunity where you're dealing with a major label or you're dealing with a studio and, um, you know, for a sink or something, mm-hmm. you have the information uh, going into the room yeah. of what your rights are, right, right. at a right. base level, you right. know, what how you should be treated. Mm-hmm. 
and it is changing. This industry is ever changing because we are ever changing. And just like you said, internet changed everything yeah. and how between 2015 and 10 years, you know what I mean? I think about markers, like, you know, we think about internet and everybody, and then we think about, you know, there was Napster and then that mm-hmm. guy, you know, there was MySpace. And then, mm-hmm. you know, then the next thing, and then think about how Instagram, you know, changed and how people were Snapchat, how artists were really too able to own their their likeness you know mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and even not just artists like think about you know um i was thinking about tabloids is like a great example how the tabloid yeah. business just went down the toilet yeah. once social media really <laughs> yeah. came to the forefront because yeah. people were just putting out their own stuff they were like uh-huh. actually well this happened they're putting out their own statements they're yeah. putting out their pictures they're putting out their business on live everything. you know everything everything <laughs> and, you know and so, thing we got is shade room <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And there yeah, everybody is like, you know, TMZ, paparazzi, Perez Hilton, like they're they're behind the curve. They report they're they're just following people to yeah. repost what the celebrities have already posted on themselves. Yeah. So, you know, that's a very difficult world to navigate for yeah. the structures that be, yeah. which also makes it very difficult for then the the little people and, and the big people. So everybody's trying to figure it out Absolutely. as it changes. Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree. So I always like to get into people's stories. I would like to ask this question. You know, what what's your earliest memories of music? What do you remember that kind of like say, hey, I love this thing? I believe this. We can't live without it. It's impossible. Agreed. It's impossible. We can't live life. <laughs> you can't live life without. <laughs> Agreed. You know, um, my earliest memory of music is probably really convoluted because um, I come from a musical family. Okay. My father is a, um, he's a, he's actually a world renowned jazz percussionist. Yeah. Um, and he's worked with. <laughs> I read that. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's worked with everybody from, you know, weather report. So RIP Wayne Shorter. He just, he just, yeah. um, he yeah. left. He left this body. He's a Buddhist. Right. Um, so he said he is ready for his new body. Right. Um, so we will see him soon in another incarnation. Right. And then uh, Miles Davis, he played with Dizzy Gillespie, he played with Sting, Tracy Chat. I mean, everybody. Peter Gabriel, everybody. <laughs> Honestly, the list right. goes on. I mean, right. I remember I was reading his his version of a CD. I was like, I didn't even know you played with this person. Um, so... <laughs> A, a lot of my early memories of music really were um, in the home. And it wasn't necessarily because my father's a percussionist. He was always making music out of anything and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really remember, you know, my fondest memories of him really are, you know, the kitchen or the dinner table. Um, you know, I, I can hear the sound of him whipping eggs, you know, oh, okay. and what he would do and with the bowl and, and, and the fork, he whipped with a fork, not with a whisk. Right. Um, or I think about, you know, um, water, a water bottle. Uh, like I said, we're French, so there'd be some kind of water bottle still in right. Right, right, and, right. um, you know, as, as we pour out the water, sort of him, you know, blowing it, which is really not sanitary now, think about it, blowing <laughs> into the box. <laughs> you know, right, we did right. not do that post-COVID at the dinner table, right, blowing right, into right. the bottle, but just like showing me how the pitch changes as, you know, the level of the water goes down. Um, so that was really 
uh, that was a big part of my childhood, a big part of my early memories of, of music, um, which is really mad. Like me, thank you for the question because it's really a magical moment for me to reflect on that. Yeah, I always get very interesting responses. That's always I always make sure I, it's all my musical guests and friends that I interview. I always like to ask that question because it always is different for everybody. Um, so you you graduated from the University of Virginia. Yes. Right. So you grew up in Jersey and you went to school in Virginia. Well, actually, I grew up in New Jersey. And then I went to, before I went to university, I went to a boarding school um, okay. in Massachusetts. <laughs> okay. How was that? <laughs> you know, um, while I was there, I didn't know um, how great it was. When I went to university, and this is no shade to UVA, um, I just really, the experience was just really uh, special. It really, I would say that um, going to boarding school really saved my life. I okay. sent myself to boarding school. Um, backstory, my mother passed away before I turned 13. Okay. And um, at the time, uh, shortly after, I had no relationship with my father oh, wow. um, for, okay. for quite some time. And so I was living with family, friends. Um, I had changed schools and really everybody at that school was looking at boarding schools. I hadn't really, I always imagined boarding schools was like for orphans, which I guess I kind of was, you know, right, right. so it made sense. I was like, you know, little orphan Annie, right. and Annie Angelique. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, but I just, they had a good art, this one school, I really liked the admissions person at this school fair. Mm -hmm. And she said, somebody directed me to that. They said that they had a good arts program and it was 15 minutes outside of Boston. So I thought that was cool to go to school uh, close to a major city. I don't mm -hmm. know what I was thinking. It wasn't like, you know, I was 14. It wasn't like I was going to be drinking <laughs> or whatever. But in my head, I had conjured up this idea that like, yeah, I would like to do that. So, yeah. um, so I went to boarding school and what was interesting for me is that I realized, you know, my friends at home, um, there was a growth, that exponential growth that happened for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was being at that kind of school with, you know, I say those kind of people in, ex in quotation marks, you know, <laughs> okay. talking about, you know, at the time, my high school was the number one school in the country because of the matriculation. You know, you're talking mm -hmm. about everybody going to Harvard, Yale and whatever, mm -hmm. you know, I was insecure going to University of Virginia and that was a top public school, mm -hmm. uh, public university at the time. And it was a top 20 school. And I was like, oh, I'm a loser and I'm stupid because everybody else was going to Harvard. I didn't apply yeah. to Harvard. I probably should have because it probably would have gotten in. But anyway, yeah. you know, but th that was that was different. But I, I, I just I saw culturally, mentally, um, there there was a lot of things that I was exposed to. And there was a, a growth that really um, in some ways separated me in a lot of ways separated me from my friends and, and in a way I think it was a good thing because I think that um, having had a lot of trauma in my family life I was ripe to get in a lot of trouble not that I didn't still get into some trouble but I really do think I would have gotten into way more trouble um, had Probably I not would have. <laughs> you think you, you, your mom passed away you don't have a relationship with your dad so somebody's who's going to be there to kind of give you that structure like kind of that yeah. that um you know so no that's probably you actually probably made a wise decision 
and not even, you know, thinking back at it now. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, so you can think about it, you know. It was pretty wise for such a at such a young age. Like, Let me do this for myself, you know what I mean? Truly. And I remember I said, I don't think I should stay here. I think I should go. And <laughs> yeah, I was probably smart because that could have led to look, that could have and thank God that wasn't in today's generation. Because look, I, I was saying this to a friend earlier. You can't parent the same in 2023. You cannot parent the same way. I know you have children. You can't parent the same. You can't in this day and age. It is. I'm not a parent, but I'm just saying just from the society and the way society is with smartphones and everything. You can't beat your kid. You can't do that. Look, CPS is right around the corner. You did what? <laughs> <laughs> I, there's a lot, and you can't do. But you know, also it's just I think about. Um, I only know one neighbor on my block. You know what mm. I'm saying? And I remember growing up where everybody knew everybody, at least around yeah. a couple corners. Yeah. You knew somebody or somebody mm-hmm. knew you or somebody knew your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about, you know, I was walking my dog at six or seven by myself, you mm-hmm. know, and not not batting an eye. And I, I would never feel that way. So that we talk about back to that hub and that community thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really lacking. And it's really sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You don't have those people that you can trust that, you know, have your back no matter what, you know? So yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. So you graduate from UVA and then you start getting interest from music. And, so now we're kind of, you graduated. So did you know you kind of wanted to go into the end? You know, you're like, I'm doing this thing professionally now? Or? Yeah, I always knew I said that I wanted to, I always wanted to perform. And okay. really college, after going to this boarding school, I was like, this is a waste of my time. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my mother was, a, you know, the first in our family to go to university. And she had, you know, maybe three masters or something, education. She was a teacher at one point. Okay. She was a librarian. I mean, education was everything to her. So mm-hmm. I really went to university to honor her. But I was like, I, I don't need this. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I did it. Um, and I don't regret it because it has really helped me out. Mm-hmm. Um, in the long run mm-hmm. but yeah I um I had gotten connected to actually da, 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 Curtis Richardson back um, then okay yeah now, now, what year, now what year is this now what, what year are we in at this point why are we talking about years it's a long time ago you don't have to say long time you know to the point where I got somebody said how long have you known him and you know simple math makes me nervous <laughs> and, I don't have and I was like, uh, 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 and I was like, oh my goodness. And then I had it, and they kind of moved on because I was just sort of like fumbling, trying to figure out how long it had been. But then I realized I was like, wow, it's really been that long. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but anyway, it's been a while. It was a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, so you but, met him. Um, I met Curtis. him when I was. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I remember our first meeting, we got along, just like Curtis gets along with everybody. Yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> and uh, he talked to me, and he said, you know, do you write songs? And honestly, I'd never even thought about it. I said, well, I write poetry and mm-hmm. short stories, which is true. I was always in, I have a journal. And he said, I think you're a songwriter. Mm-hmm. He said, just from the way that you speak. Um, and he said, well, let's have a session. I know a producer that I think you would work well with because he said, you need to learn how you have no studio experience. I, I didn't. He said, mm-hmm. you need to learn how to record, you yeah. know, um, yeah. and that was that was the foundation. So he introduced me to a producer named Demo Wet. OK. And yep, yep, yeah. Yep, so yep, King yep. Son, I was, I was like, oh, King Son and Demo Wet. 
Um, just like for history buffs, they had that hit called Hey Love, which that sample, who else used that sample? Was it LL? Somebody else used this sample that um that do 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 anyway. So they so um but I think they were the first and um he also is uh Hate Me Now. Yep. Um, the producer of Hate Me Now for uh, Nas oh, and 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 Diddy. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Curtis said, he was record- Curtis said he was there that day when he was making that. He beat. probably was. Yeah. He probably was. We were all there. So D has this amazing um, basement studio in Teaneck, New Jersey. And yep. so at the time, I was still when I came back from school, I was living in New Jersey for a hot second before I moved to the city. And I was driving my little Toyota Camry all the way from Teaneck, all the way from Bedminster to Teaneck, if anybody knows Jersey. It's a little bit of a drive. And for a long time, all I was doing was sitting and waiting. Okay. Just sitting and waiting for my chance to, like, work. You know, he had these artists come through, and I was just kind of like, I'm here. Yeah, I was just, I would show up. I was just there. And I mean, I think once I was, and I was sleep. I was to the point where I would like sleep there. I put like, I got like a couple of yoga mats or like dance mats <laughs> and like put them in the booth. You know what I mean? Like I would mm-hmm. see, I was like, I'm just waiting for my turn. Yeah. I mean, I remember one Thanksgiving, it was, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna like, I've been here. I haven't worked yet. I was like, I'm gonna just like wash up in the sink. <laughs> like, and after that I actually I think he must have been like okay this chick is real serious and then I got I got my my shot you know um mm-hmm. in the booth and mm-hmm. and busted out my journal and Curtis is like girl this is not a poem you've been writing songs the whole time we could just take this and fit it and it's true like all the structure you know was so it was it was melodic and it was really song structure already um so that's how I that's that was like my first foray into into the music into the thing that's awesome and then that so then you started so then when did you start getting cuts like when did you start getting like your cut really I mean I started out as an artist which was actually a terrible experience because I had a really booty manager Okay, talk um, about that. Talk about, talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I had a manager um, who seemed, you know, I don't even know how to describe him, but somewhat stereotypical. I think um, being naive, I thought it was advantageous that he was in the radio business. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially then, you know, radio was very much king. Yeah, you know, of course that, you were, yeah. yeah. That's the way you got to that, the masses. That's the way you got. That's the only way you got to the masses at that time. Yeah. So, um, at the time he was with a big company, and then uh, I guess he got fired, which is where <laughs> it got interesting because, and it was cool because you know he would say, okay, these are the conferences. Like you got to go to this radio thing here, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, this mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm, you meet mm-hmm. you meet this person who's you know head of urban at whomever and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. they just broke this record and that record so that was good you know and there are some people that i still i've run into every once in a while and they're like oh my goodness and i was like hey i'm right. still here <laughs> different but still here right. um so that was that that was also helpful because learning i learned a lot about radio and how mm. how that works you know mm-hmm. the good mm-hmm. and the bad side of it um mm-hmm. 
but what happened was what what happened to me is that um a lot of what ha- once he no longer had the the gig then all of the expenses accrued were then on the artist but I didn't know so he was having you know business meetings quote quote and quote um and it was like oh I was with so and so you know in Chicago and I talked about you so then the dinner was on me kind of vibe you know what I mean meaning although you were going you were going for your consulting job but it's more convenient because you're like I got this young girl who don't know anything I'm gonna put this on these expenses you know on her and so I mean that's fucked up (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah it was nasty so um and then you know it was at, at some point he had accrued a list and then he was looking for a he was looking for an, another signing beyond management right okay. and so um i had my and, and he actually had me meet with him and his lawyer Mm. which is not you're not okay right you're not supposed to do that and she's like well, you know he's this is like almost a hundred thousand dollars worth of expenses mind you i don't have an album i don't have an album i don't have no videos you know what mm-hmm. i mean like i had had a, a song that did like that featured on the radio but like it was one spot you know what I mean? if it got if it got so, you, ten so, so, you're, so you're on a label at this you're signed to a label no this oh. is what i'm saying this is just the manager Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm sitting here, and that's the other thing is like, there's no label deal. There's no, you know, there's no album. There is no album. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is crazy, mm-hmm. crazy talk. A hundred thousand dollars in expenses. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're talking about his hotel, his dinner, all all of this stuff put on was me. put on put on me. Yeah. Luckily, um, a friend of mine, um had introduced me to a fantastic lawyer shout out speed edelman who's now a big exec and i need to actually hit him up but speed was not playing he was like i don't got time for this he was like da, 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 he, red, he redlined it huh he was like no and luckily there was a clause in my contract um that said anything over 500 dollars i had to have signed off on okay. which none of that was signed off on right. um and so but what happened was for me is that I was, you know, I was young, naive and disillusioned and I was heartbroken, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, it was really hard for me because this person's wife was harassing me. Oh, my um, oh yeah. No, like she was like, I, you know, she first was asking me if I was having a relationship with him. And I was like, girl, I know you married him and I know you got a baby with him, but I'm not going <laughs> to tell you why that would never happen. I'm like, the same. <laughs> I like I don't want to you. I mean, it yeah. happened, but it didn't happen with you. <laughs> right. I was like, whoever, but I was like, whatever. Right. Then she was like, uh, well, this is a lot of money and it's my money too. And I was like, girl, it ain't me. Okay. It's not so money. he's taking so he's taking her money. Well, he's using their money, you know, he's using personal funds because that's a oh. and this happens a lot when people go from, you know, they have a structure where they have an expense account. And then yeah. they lose a job or leave the job. They go independent. They get go consulting, and that is a lifestyle that is hard to adjust oh, yeah. from. It's, it's really yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Which is also when the nonsense happens. Y'all trying to find a Mickey, you know, say a Mark to <laughs> you know to be accountable for your lifestyle. Yeah. So, um, and Curtis, poor thing, he was he tried for a couple of years 
to get me to come to the studio. And I, I mean, I, when I said I was heartbroken, like I didn't even hum in the oh, shower. So, so you were like, like done. You were like, fuck this. I'm out, of, I'm out of here. Well, yeah. also simultaneously, I was modeling, commercial modeling, because I'm a shorty. Um, I was I was making money from commercials in New York. I was doing print and commercials. And I was like, I'm getting paid right now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need this music. I have these great songs. I haven't seen a dime. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I got one check for $200 for doing background vocals for somebody who was not as good as I was as an artist. Like, no shade. Yeah. But I was... Yeah. So, <laughs> Keep it with you, know I mean? you know what I'm saying? So I was like, I don't need this. Like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm done. Um, and this is nonsense, you know, at least if I'm going through this nonsense, at least I know, like I'm going to this audition, you know, like the parameters are, are smaller, you know, mm -hmm. they're easier to deal with, even though that business is extremely hard, but mm -hmm. Curtis would not let go. He was like, just demo, just come right, just co-write, just demo, just co-write. And then I went, I was like, one day I said, you know, I called him, I said, I think I would like to co-write, you know, I think I'll do some co-writes. And so he um he got me in it wasn't even in we just started writing with a whole bunch of like netherlands folks and and mm -hmm. scandinavian folks who had amazing melodies but uh english is not their first language so yeah. the yeah. lyrics were a harder thing and so yeah. um it was easy i was always took to lyrics like i said the poetry thing mm -hmm. and um and also having melody background it was like just putting together a puzzle was really easy. Yeah. And I think within a month of a month, maybe two months of us doing that, we got like eight cuts. Mm. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so that was December. And then January, I was meeting with my uh, Los Angeles branch of management for acting. Mm, okay. And, um, and I decided, so if I, if it was, January, mid-January, or whatever. Let's say it was Martin Luther King weekend, because it was. Mm -hmm. um, January, yeah. That's like the, probably mid mid-January-ish. Mid-January, by February 4th, I had moved to LA. Oh wow, okay. Oh well, that quick. Okay, quick. Okay. So it was super quick. But what was great about me moving here, I was doing the acting thing, but also it was at the same time. So now we're talking about 2011. It was at the same time that um a lot of Europeans and a lot of people just in general were moving um, to LA for pop music. Okay. So the scene was changing, you know, people were leaving New York. Mm -hmm. um, that that was the beginning of the shift of, of music from New York to LA um, and Europe to, to LA. And, but Curtis was stationary and he had all these great connections with yeah. people overseas. And they were like, Hey man, I'm going to be in LA. And he said, I'm not there, but my sis is. She's a great writer. You'll love her. And that's really when I started to work as a songwriter. Um, you know, that's when I was getting into sessions and whether it was, like I said, somebody's house, somebody's bedroom or major studio, I was doing the circuit simultaneously. I was doing my auditions. I was really fortunate because I had made enough money between uh, commercials and bartending that mm -hmm. I didn't have to work. Um, so I could really like get into it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, yeah, that was the start of things moving for me as a, as a songwriter. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So that, that started you as a, as a writer. And then, so, um, uh, now, so once you start getting cuts with like some of the bigger names, like John Legend, Tasha mm. Bettyfield, Smokey Robinson, so 
Let's let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So um, John happened. Um, it's really funny because I was reflecting on my beginning of my LA life, and I was like, I was kind of Hollywood. I was like out here, you know, at the <laughs> parties. I was like, you know, living that sing- you're living that single life, huh? I I I was you know I wasn't really single. I mean, I was single to myself in a way, but I was okay. in a relationship. That's a whole other story. We won't get into that. Okay. Um, that's for another. That's for another time. That's for another girl, we just met. Right. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, I was I was running in a circle um, of folks, and I had a lot of access. Honestly, you know. Right. That was not normal for somebody who just landed in Los Angeles. Um, and and John John was a friend, you know. Um, and uh, what was interesting is timing is really um, timing is everything. Um, and I can really appreciate timing when I take a step back because I had the acting um, I had the acting thing going, so I was very familiar with. Uh, how TV and film worked, you know, was very familiar with reading scripts and being able to dissect a script. Um, And I looked at, and I still look at TV and film in a a very different way. I mean, I even think I took a course at uh, UVA that was about music and TV and film. Um, And um, at at the time, John was starting his TV film production company, Okay. And what was happening is um, projects were bringing him on as a producer um, in exchange for him really having, I don't know if I should say the bulges, but for him to do music, to do a song, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, especially like coming off the glory when um, having an Oscar winning song uh, from an artist like John Legend was a big deal for as part of promo for, for any TV or film show. Right. Um, so me being a person who had the background that I had, not only with songwriting, um, but also with the acting, I was kind of ideal to sort of like fit in when it came time to do songs that were spe- specifically commissioned um, for for TV and film. I had had, um, but to reverse is we did, I did have an opportunity because I was like, oh, can I please write you know it's a moment where you're cool enough with somebody and they're like all right cool I got this session down in Miami with um with Salam Remy and I was like oh my goodness Salam (laughs) Remy oh my goodness you know I'm not gonna pay for you to go down there I'm not gonna pay for your hotel but if you can get down there you know we can write um and our first session before Salam was actually with Jim Johnson okay and I remember um, his manager, Tyson Gloria, said, she sent me the email, it was so cool. The goal of this, uh, of this session is to come out with, you know, an R&B single, you know, da-da-da-da-da for John. Okay, got it. So we're in there um, at gyms. What's cool about uh, Miami is a lot of these producers have, like, is cheaper. So they've got these huge houses Mm-hmm. Um, that they turn into a production house. Yeah. And so we were at Jim's production house and um, Frank Romano, he was working with Frank Romano um, at the time was in the session. 
And they just kind of were starting something off. And you, know, John gets on the keys and you're working it out. And there was nothing there. And I will say that I was nervous. I even told him I was nervous. He was like, you can't be nervous. You know, John is very matter of fact. He's a Capricorn. Like, it's really like as nice as he is. Yeah. He's very, he's super about his business. And he's okay. extremely confident, you know. Gotcha. Um, he's one of the most confident people that I've ever met. Um, so he's kind of looking at me like, don't, don't get weird, you know. Um, but I was being weird. I was just kind of like, uh, I was a little just, I I was, my wheels were kind of spinning. Um, and he went for a break. He stepped out and then I actually stepped into the booth, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, everybody's gone. And I had a, you know, um, I had a melodic idea and he was like, I kind of like what you just did in there. He came in there. And so we started to build on that. And that song um, ended up being a million, which was featured heavily in the reboot of About Last Night um, with Kevin Hart, Michael Ealy, my big sister, Joy Bryant, um, and Regina Hall. So it was the lovers, uh, you know, it was like the lovers theme through the movie, which mm. is also kind of awkward because I'm friends with um, with Michael and Joy. So <laughs> they're okay. they're they are all their love scenes are to my song <laughs> with John. <laughs> so um it, it's kind of funny how those things happen. But that was my that was my first uh song with John. And and you know it was weird because that song um there was talk of whether or not it was going to be on the album. It was like very received but you know those things happen where you know people have ideas or concepts and they don't want to, they wanted to actually take, there was a time where they were thinking about taking one song out and putting this one in and um, it didn't work out, but it found its home, which is, which is also really encouraging. I think for any creative to know that just because it, it didn't go where you initially intended, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have a place to be. It doesn't have mean that people will not get to hear your work. Yeah. I think that sometimes if you, if, if you always listen to somebody's, that's why these podcasts are great. Can we get a chance to hear the backstories that kind of like how it would have been behind the music back in the day? That's kind of where podcast is now. You know, we and we hear the stories. It was like, oh, this song was supposed to be for this song. Mm-hmm. And how did it end? Well, how the heck did it end up over here? Sometimes it just ends up where it needs to end up. You know, I mean, you know, it, it could be also, also I don't understand too, the industry's small, man. So yeah. songs are going to get tossed around to people, they're going to hear the same. Version. I remember Troy Taylor was telling a story. He said he has the only song that was cut by both Aretha and Patti LaBelle. Neither one ever heard the same song. It's the same because I think Patti. I think Aretha wanted to cut it first. Something happened, and then Patti ended up cutting. So, and the song never came out. But he has the only song with the same exact vocals from Patti and Aretha, who I don't think at the time liked each other. I don't think they got what? along. I don't think they get along with each other. So it was like, so it just interesting. I mean, that is diva. That is diva. You can't get more diva than that. So I exactly, understand. Exactly. So he's like, yeah. you know, so a lot of times, people are the music industry, the entertainment industry in general, is a small industry. Everybody knows it, especially at that level. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. So songs get, songs go from publisher to publisher, from room to room. So, okay, well, didn't work on this person. Let's try it over here. So it just, it's the nature yeah. of the game. It's just the nature of the game. Just what it is, you know. So, I yeah, you, you said so you mentioned, yeah. Oh no, you mentioned Smokey Robinson, and I will yeah. say because that was a really um, cool and special experience. Mm-hmm. 
number one, Smokey and my mom are both Aquariuses with Aquarius mm. cuss. And so I remember saying, and I remember him coming. Um, he came to the house, oh, which okay. was also wild because um, he was working with an artist at the time. And he was saying that this was, you know, this is who he had chosen to sort of be his last development. Um, I don't know if that's still true, but mm. um, we had gotten linked to him. Um, well, we had gotten linked to this artist and before we could move on and work with her we had to meet the man mm-hmm. and um so he came but before he got to the house so i think he has like on star or something and where we were living at the time it was like it was technically a made-up street because it was on this thing but it's like you know a, a townhouse kind of road complex kind of thing mm-hmm. so they created this little like road which is really just a driveway so it wouldn't show up for his thing and so um my my husband's on the phone with him and he's like, you know, Smokey's on here. And, he, and my husband is very sweet. He was like, well, I'll just come and get you. And Smokey goes, well, how are you going to find me if you don't know where I'm at, baby? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Smokey. And, he, and it was crazy because I was like, it's like a life thing. You know what I mean? I really like, I took that and I was like, it's a mantra of mine now where it's like, how are you going to find me if you don't know where I'm at? Right. This is this is a simple thing, you know what I mean? Right. And I was like, and it applies to many things in life. Right. But he came in, you know, um, he is a ladies' man, and which I was happy to accept because it's smoky, you know. Yeah. Um, and but but really, I, I actually wasn't writing with the artist. Um, she's she's a phenomenal writer, but I was uh, vocal producing her. So, um, and really, a highlight of my career is we played the finished project and um smokey said he said young lady you really kicked ass on them backgrounds (laughs) (laughs) and i just was so you know i was full and we were at we were we were doing the recordings out of um rafael sadiq's studio um so and there was a there was a time where we were having a conversation with rafael sadiq and smokey robinson um and we might or might not have been Smokey Robinson. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got you. I got you. <laughs> and you have been here, you know, and it, it was just because I think they're titans. I, you know, I have such respect for Raphael and we have worked on songs together without having worked together, yeah, um, yeah. which also, you know, obviously this happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but I have such a respect for him and he's such an incredible musician and an artist you know Raphael can sing mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and write and all those things right. so it, it's just you know you have these moments and I'm really like I'm loving this interview because you you're giving me time to you're giving me a space to really reflect um, I, love, I think that I love, I love these conversations you know when I started doing this podcast I'm like man girl like you you do really good interviews, like yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Bring yourself up because I'm 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 having this nostalgia, and I'm also thinking like, man, you've really done some things. I'm I'm really, you know, yeah. I, I think I'm not the only person who is their worst critic, and so I'm always, you know, and I always well, you, in, you in it, so you in it, so you when you in it, you can't really like you you're in tunnel vision, like you you do what you got to do, but when somebody else can help you reflect on that, like damn, I've done, I've done some pretty cool shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean that yeah. I mean, that's usually how it is, you know. Uh and definitely be be uh 
Be proud of the work you've done. I always tell people it's not bragging. It's called promotion. If people don't, <laughs> if people don't tell, no, seriously, like, if you don't tell people what you do, why the fuck are they going to care? It's true. If it's you true. don't, if you don't care, I'm just saying, like, like one of my, one of my buddies, George, he's got um, cerebral palsy as well. And he, he won a sports Emmy for the um, uh, Rising Phoenix documentary on, uh, on Netflix. I said, dude, he did that in 20 years. I said, bro, why don't you talk about that? I said, bro, you have a fucking Emmy. Like, they don't hand those out every day. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, tell your story, talk about your story, and uh, let people know what you have going on. So I'm a really big believer in sharing the highlights of what you've accomplished because, you know, it's pretty cool. Thank you. Well, thank you for giving me a platform and for even caring about this little New Jersey French <laughs> Girl who went to boarding school and then to hey, hey, it's all good. It's all good. I've been all over the place. You definitely have. You definitely have. A friend of mine, she has a joke. There was like this thing on um this is a while back, but it was on Facebook. Um, and it was something about, you know, if you were stranded on an island, who who are the people that you would want um Mm -hmm. there with you? Mm -hmm. And she said, she said me. She said, because she's probably related to somebody on the island or at least knows somebody on there. <laughs> but I've mm-hmm. I've lived enough places, you know, yeah. um, and, and traveled enough. And then, you know, also once you live in New York and LA, it's you know, your world gets infinitely smaller yeah. um between those two places. So I do I do know a lot of people. You do. My husband's I mean, always like, somebody else? He's you like, kinda, you got you another friend I've a couple never flex- met. Yeah, you dropped a couple flexes of who you kind of cool with. Just in this little interview, I you know it's oh. weird. I mean, it was crazy. So I, I'm gonna say this because this is like a but I don't and it might not be a flex to anybody else, but I think just in context because I was saying how I was reflecting on how I was kind of Hollywood, you know, right? And I was like, you know, um, I was thinking. So there was randomly. Don't ask me why. Oh, I know why. So my husband is also a, a music producer and okay. a writer, and um, he has worked with a lot of people, a lot of big people. But you, for some reason, he was feeling like he was reflecting on his former uh, cuts, and he pulled up Jesse McCartney. Okay, shout out to Jesse McCartney. Okay. And so you shot Jesse McCartney, right? Super random. And so he was like, you know, um, he was nice. And I was like, he is nice. I mean, for what I remember, he's nice. And we were saying kind of the same thing. I said, it's so random because I met Jesse McCartney when he was dating... Eden Sassoon, Vidal Sassoon's daughter, and they Ooh. lived in the canyon, right? And I remember being at her house. But I'm saying this like this is a normal thing, right? Like, you just... <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but I think for, in your defense, right? So when you're in a... These are normal people because they're just... Look, they're celebrities to everybody else, but when you're around these people, these are like your friends. These are just people. It's not like I met Sui down the street. So people don't <laughs> understand... Like people don't understand that. Yes, to celebrities, but to you, they're just, they're just people. I hope people don't understand. Like, yeah, they love... They have they have a public figure. They're public, But they're just... There are people at the end of the day. So you just it's treat them so like true. people. You know? It's true. And they are still people. But I had a moment where I was just kind of thinking about what I was saying. And I said, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, but and anybody else, but it was also sort of, and to me, knowing celebrities is like pish posh because they really are, you know, normal people. You know, to me, it's more exciting doing business with them. 
then yeah. no. And, yeah. and unless, I mean, but I do know some beautiful people who will happen to be celebrities, okay. but, um, <laughs> but no, no, but it was, but it, it was for me. Cause I, I would think there are many people, even friends of mine in my life who saying something like that would be so obscure, you know, it's so far from the realm of their reality. Yeah. And, um, so, but to me, it's not an, it's not an, that is not an enviable aspect, you know, of life, but it does help me think sometimes that there are people who would like to know these people or live the life that I've lived. So I, it's also me telling myself not to be so hard on myself, but that is not the measure. How many celebrities I know is not the measure of success to me, nor of, of a good life. Of course know? not. No, of course um, not. Yeah. But it was interesting. It was a really interesting reflection. So it was like twofold where I was like, Ooh, girl, you, you had a hot, like there was a Hollywood, lots of Hollywood experiences, which, you know, they all add to the well and pool of story and creativity. Right. <laughs> right. No, there's look, there's nothing wrong with that. When you're in the space of Hollywood, right. I've never been in that space. Right. But if you're in that space of Hollywood, it's the people you see all the time. I mean, you know, when you think about the acting world, like it's, it's it's a world of constant rejection. You're always being told no. You never know when, like, my artist that I managed, I mentioned an artist named Xavier Keyes out of Chicago, real talented brother. Mm. R&B artist, uh, he's also an actor too. And it's like, I tell people, I tell them all the time, I said, when you're in this game, you never know why people say no. You don't know why people say, why you didn't get the part. You never know really know why. You know what I mean? So you're constantly being rejected. At least with music, you kind of have a, it's, it's, Music is kind of, especially because you're trying to build fans, so you have a little bit more control over the situation, but mm -hmm. it's still, you still got to do a lot, a lot of work. But when you're dealing with directors, and you never know what the hell they want, what, what they want. And I have a, I have a good story for that. And it really, it gave me, it gave me perspective. So this is when I was in New York and I was doing commercials and I had gotten cast <clears throat> as, um I think it was, was it Revlon? It was some of my mascara, the green and pink one. That's like mm -hmm. you'd be in all of the cosmetic stores, maybe CoverGirl, whatever. Okay, okay. And um, we were, speaking of CoverGirl, we were in like a um, Catholic school uniform kind of thing going on. Okay. And I'm reflective. I remember, I mean, I'm like, okay, where is this going? And so there was, and I had actually, fortunately, I had gotten bumped up to be like a main but okay. I, I initially was just getting casted as um as background but they did say there was a potential to get bumped up and I did get bumped up but I think it was because I was brown um okay. anyway that being said so the main young lady who was cast main girl beautiful uh racially ambiguous mm -hmm. um thing and um she pointed out she said oh that was the girl that's the girl that I was up against, mm -hmm. but which is very weird because why is she here? And I and I said, why is she here? If you got if you got it, and she said, well, um, it came down to uh, me wearing the main girl's wearing her hair half up, half down, mm -hmm. and I was like, still kind of like, huh? And she goes, I have smaller ears. Mm. <laughs> mm. So that goes to what. You do not know what they want. And, yeah. and most times it's not something that you control. You know, yeah. it wasn't about how well you, you, your audition was. It wasn't about how you sang. It wasn't, it's, there's something else in the mix that you have no control about that is so minute, mm -hmm. but it means so much to us. You know what I mean? To yeah. this other young lady to be a main in a cover girl commercial 
you know, as a huge deal. And she will never know. But the reason why she didn't cast is because her ears were like slightly bigger than the other girls and they, they needed the hair up. So you would have seen her ears more. They would have been more prominent. That's interesting. Right. I mean, so you have to condition yourself in this industry and this business. Understood. Your mental is so important. You know, mental is so important in this game. Burnout is real. You have to condition yourself and understand that, look, things that are for you or for you, things that aren't that aren't, and know how to manage expectations. You know, yeah. when, I work, when I'm working with talent, when I work with artists, like, first of all, to work with me as a, as a consultant, you know, I charge $3,000 for six months, right? And mm-hmm. that's not a lot of money. In this business, mm-hmm. to work with that really is not. And if you're thinking three grand is going to change your life, uh, you go 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 do something else. Seriously, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you if the problem with independent artists now, and this is, I'm just being honest, the problem with a lot of it is that they don't like this is an expensive game. Twenty grand, thirty, it's not a lot. I had to say, it, it's not a lot of money trying to make it in this business. You can spell you can spell well into the millions and not be quote unquote on, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can if you're worried about spending two three thousand bucks because, and by the way, I'm fair. I'm 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 qualified to charge that, right? I'm very. Are fair. you being generous? Right, I'm very very fair because I try to. That's the hardest thing when you're when you're doing freelance work like I do is like how do you price something where it's fair, but it's you're not you're not undercharging yourself but you're not actually making it where you're not hitting anybody else over the head that's always kind of like that's always kind of like the thing i struggle with even with this mentorship class group i want this education new program i want to launch it's like it's a dollar i I feel like the dollar amount is fair because it's lower than my hourly rate and i've I've kept it really really fair like around 800 bucks for a six-week program i think that's fair you know when you when you think about coaches that do what what i do they there's there's consultants that charge fifteen hundred dollars a week, two thousand dollars a week. Yeah, and and I think that's fair too. I mean, I think that you know because just knowing how much goes into it, and I think that it de- also depends on the individual. You know, we're just meeting, but yeah. I, you strike me as somebody who not only is well informed, but you're and passionate, but you're also caring. Yeah, very and, much so. You know, to, to a that, fault sometimes. Of course. <laughs> And that's, you know, involving that, but people, you know, people just think that you're just telling them stuff. But I was like, wisdom, you know, wisdom Mm -hmm. is valuable. Energy, time Mm -hmm. is super valuable. I mean, I think about the time that I spent comping, just comping vocals, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'm comping vocals. What what a lot of artists don't know is not only am I comping vocals, sometimes I'm sneaking in there because they just never could get the note and the melody ain't right. And I'm sneaking in there and I'm fixing, I'm spending hours on, on that. Not only the hours that I'm spending in the studio with them, you mm. know, and that's, that's not even with me writing on it. That's just me vocal producing. So, um, so talk, so talk to me about kind of, cause this is something I've been on talk about as a songwriter. So, you're in a session now. When you going into a session, are you is, is your publisher sending you into the session? Or are you are you self published or you have a publishing deal? I've always been self published. Um, right. Thankfully, that I have always been able to have a revenue stream from whatever it was, so that I did not have to sign a publishing deal. Also, being that my <clears throat> the majority of my major cuts have been um, film, 
or TV and film cuts, it's not ideal necessarily for publishing. Um, The model is changing, but there was just nothing for the publisher. So I was getting, you know, upfront money and they would buy out publishing or a portion of my publishing. Um, uh, Luckily was, I don't think I've ever had a hundred percent situation for a publishing buyout, but they, they take a significant amount of publishing. Um, which is also beneficial because then I didn't have to split whatever was left over my publishing with the publisher. Right. Exactly. Um, no, it's network, network, baby. Network, network. And I bring this up because a lot of times when you're, you know, when, when you're a songwriter, it's not a glad. It's not as glamorous of a life as people think it is when you're writing for other artists. Because <laughs> you got to go to sessions and then, who, someone you got to get yourself there. Ain't nobody sending the car for you. You got to get yourself there. I mean, you might have to Uber eat some food to you. You know what I yeah. mean? No, it's ex- it's expensive. It's time consuming. You know, I think um there is there's something circulating now from uh, a singer songwriter named Ray. Okay. Who blew up in the UK, but she originally she started out as a songwriter. So, and I love when songwriters blow up and become artists because they generally, even if they don't vocalize what it's like to be a songwriter, they are very fair to the, to the people that they work with, to the songwriters that they work with, because they Mm -hmm. understand this young woman has decided to be vocal about um, how, you know, songwriters, which is crazy, especially in popular music are at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, it's wild that songwriters don't get points on the master but the producer does right, right. that's wild that's you crazy. can't have you can't have one without the other in the kind of music that we're making right you know right. what i mean and in and in and not to just producers but the majority of producers now are not you going to splice yeah. you know what i mean everything that we're doing is organic you know it's yeah. coming from this place so yeah. um you, we don't get upfront fees producers right. get upfront right and they so, don't share that upfront right that's and how it's going right are, that's yeah, what I was going and you got somebody like me, which is like a, a lot of songwriters who we're not just writing. We are then either we're demoing mm-hmm. or we're vocal producing the demo. We're mm-hmm. doing all the BVs. We're comping. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're approving mixes mm-hmm. before they get to the producer. We're approving. So that's production. Exactly. That's so another you are, part so of production. You are a producer. Yeah. So you should. We be. are 100% producers, but we're not because it's not the music production, which sometimes it is because sometimes we're chopping in like, you know, just even for a song, we're like, take this piece and put it here. This music needs to go here. It's because whatever that is, it's not originated, you know, I mean, I think it's really just, it's it's mentality, really, truly. And it's not built into the copyright law. So, you know, and not built into, you know, so yeah, it's unfortunate. So what ends up happening a lot of times is that you then have to ask the producer, hey, can you ask for a little bit more so you can just give me a cut, you know, just so you can, you know, and it sucks that you have to do that. Those, that should be built into the law so that you, don't have, to, so that you don't have to worry about it because it, it's not fair. It's, what are the producers going to give me a free meal and or if I'm exactly. Lucky, or, and, oh, you can order from Bossa Nova. And let's be real. As a producer, you're not making any real cuts and any real, real money on artists unless that song's going to radio. You yeah, know, so, you I know mean, what I mean? Because I mean, you're not because if I mean because you're not going to make a whole lot of dough. I mean, on streams, it, on streams, right? So the so the as a producer, you want those big cuts to go to radio because at least on the publishers, at least on the publishing side, on the PR side of the copyright, 
at least you, that's where you're gonna make the most of your money, you know. So yeah, from from from, from public performance, of right? Your, yeah, yeah, from your public performance, um, it's really interesting. There's a lot of like we were saying that the industry is changing um, all the time, and I actually am managing a situation right now um, where there's interpolation involved, mm-hmm. and what, but it, you know, they're saying there's two. That's which is highly debatable, but they've put they've put the writers on from two other songs, which means that now they have diluted the publishing Even, of yeah. the original writers mm-hmm. of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do that so that they don't have to pay as large of a portion or if any for the sample, which is not yeah. actually a sample. Right. So we're in interesting times, which is also why I go back where you got to know your stuff as much as you can. You have yeah. to educate yourself. And people, I'm really happy with people who are being vocal yeah. about, you know, there's change happening. It's slow. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, we, we are not, you know, there are different things that are happening in the industry, though, that I think will benefit um, the originators of of whatever creation, you know, and that's where blockchain is really interesting um that's where web3 is really interesting i think that that is a space where um creators will get uh get some of their power back but they have to be informed on it it is scary because literally every year there is something new you know now we got ai on our tail you know (laughs) and that's we don't have the copyright laws in place to protect us so you really you know it, it makes me say hey if you want i i would have said it before but if you really if you want to go into this creative space as a career as a lifestyle really think about it first okay think about <laughs> it what it means mm-hmm. because it's getting harder and harder to break through now yeah. i think that i said there's room to break through but you just have to be informed and you have to be malleable you have to be able to change because and a lot of people are having trouble with that yeah is you know this old mentality yeah but then there's some things that old mentality that really work for the new going back to artist development but you got to be able to do that in-house you got to be able to do it yourself um you got to be able to trust people like yourself Mm -hmm. you know to say Mm -hmm. hey this is money well spent you have somebody who is helping curate your your artist that is valuable yeah, I mean, and for me, you know, I don't have the background of say I didn't build an artist, I didn't build a big name, but the what the way I the way I I, I counteract that is I serve the ninety nine percent. Everybody wants to get to the one percent. The numbers don't allow for people to everybody get to it. Just it just doesn't allow for it. So mm-hmm. I'd rather come over here. Let me serve the 99% who mm-hmm. 9 out of the 10 won't ever get signed to a label or a major, any sort of situation like that, but they still need the education and the knowledge. And the number one thing I tell artists, especially today, independent creatives, the only, the only job, you only have really two jobs is really to, to build your audience. That's really all you should be focused on one job, find your audience, serve them. That's it. That's the only thing you should be thinking about. Find your audience. I agree. Serve them. 
Don't worry about nothing else. Everybody's... That's what you said. That small town and five thousand people. I said, well, if you got five thousand people in your town and you get them all signed up on your whatever, and you have them engaged, yeah. Yeah. you're doing better than a lot of people. Yeah, you know, a lot of artists. I was telling them one of my clients. I said, when you go to a show, when you go to your performance, don't just get on, get on this call, get off the stage and leave. Have somebody with you. How many emails and phone numbers did you get? You don't leave that room. If there's 50 people in that room, you should have 50 names. of At least an email and a name. They may not want to give you their phone number because you know how people are kind of crazy about that. You know, I think phone numbers <laughs> are the best to have, even better than email. Yeah. But Agreed. at least get name and email and social so we can stay in touch with you. Because that's the only way you're going to build a core. I care about core audience. That's all I talk about. Because that's the only way you can survive in today's space as independent artists is having that core, but understanding. Most creators just don't know how to build it. They don't know what that looks like. You know, so that's kind of where I come into play or where I share my knowledge and expertise. And I just, because there's a lot of people, on, and, and and to a lot of artists' defense, there's everybody on the internet is a guru. Everybody's a guru on the internet. So who do you believe? Everybody on social media is running an ad. Why you need to take their masterclass? Mm-hmm. Why you need to do this? And then you don't know who to believe. Like it's too. It's so much out here because everybody now is a guru. <laughs> and everybody yeah. now is, you know, and that's the scary part about it is because everybody wants you to take their their class and there's and they're free this and they're free training and they're this and, they're, <laughs> and it's like God damn. It's like <laughs> it's like who? If I was an artist, who would I believe? Because you know, I have a hard time with that. There's so many people and I, you know, I have a pretty active TikTok where I give, you know, advice and I have fun with it. I like TikTok. Um, please don't ban it. Um, <laughs> but I have people ask me all the time, how can I work with you? How can I something? And, you know, that's also difficult for me because it's a time thing. Not not only is it a time thing, but it's what well, the time thing is also, I have to go through, you know, everybody's stuff and sort of see, okay, where are people at? And if this is a place, you know, if they're at a place for me to work with them. And that's just for me personally, you know what I mean? That's, that's just where I am. Like that's the same. I'm not a label, but I'm still me. And there's still a certain, I I see certain things. It doesn't, some people are further along than other people, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have the qualities that I would want to work with, you know, or some people are not far enough or, you know, there's a whole, whole bunch of things. So, but, um, and I've had a lot of people say, oh, you should get on Patreon or, oh, you should get on something or everyone is doing this. And I'm I'm having, uh, I have a hard time with that. Um, and it's not even imposter syndrome because I actually do believe, like I do the work. I'm really passionate. I'm very, you know, when I'm in with an artist, that is, that is it. You know, I, yeah. I, I spend a lot of time, yeah. a lot of energy and effort and I do research and, you know, I pull up references and all these things. Um, and uh, I do things for them that I would want somebody to do for me. You know, yeah. and actually, I'm always like, I wish I had a me. Because if I had a me, I would have been da 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 you know? Right, right, right. But I like to, I like to give that over. Um, but I do have, you know, I do have conflict with some of those things where you see people, you know, sort of like, have an hour with me. And because I just don't know where... Especially if you don't know the questions to ask, if you don't know yeah. what to say, you know, an hour with somebody can be extremely valuable, you know, like, yeah. I think if I had an hour with Warren Buffett, I think like if I was prepared, I could really get out and a lot out of that hour, you yeah. know, but I would have to be prepared and I would have to know what to ask him 
for it to be a valuable exchange. And I think most people are not, most people don't have that, you know, because they don't have, they don't have the reference points. They don't have the knowledge of what's going on to really get something from that. So I think that's, that's part of my, my conflict is, is it a fair exchange? You know, and I, I, I'm a person who I believe I'm, I am a fair person Exactly. and you know, my moral compass is my moral compass, but, um, but I do, I do want people to know that um, followers do not, that does not equate knowledge. Yeah. I see there are some people that I know who I follow, who I am friends with, who have a thousand followers, who have 2000 followers, but they have so much knowledge. They have position, they have network, they yeah. have things that would really, you know, they could really change somebody's life if somebody, you know, made contact or did, you know, initiated something that was meaningful to that person. Right. And so, uh, you know, a lot of it is research. People have to do their research. You exactly. know, I think people have to be considerate, um, you know, respectful of each other. And, and, and that's how you start to see like real value, human value, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And on that note, man, this has been, we want to have a part two because we got, I didn't get, we didn't get to cover everything that I want to talk about today. So we want to bring you back. My headset just, my headset headset just died. Okay. like you've well, been on the phone so long. Well, okay. That, that means that we're gonna have okay. to have a we're gonna have to have a part two. <laughs> so guys, so before we get out of here, we literally got two minutes before we get out of here. How can people find you? How can they connect to you? Uh, okay, so it's simple. All of my handles are the same on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, uh, at MS. C-I-N-E-L-U, that's Ms. Sinalu. Um, I'm on the LinkedIn too. I'm starting to use that more because I'm on my business. So they said, you know, that's where the money folk are. So I got to be on my LinkedIn. Um, I'm never on Facebook, but you can find me there. Uh, never, I'm never on there. I'm not, not, not going to check a message. Um, but yeah, I have my website, Um, I will be refreshing that. Um, what else? I don't know. I feel like that's all the socials. It's it's easy when you have the same handle. I don't know why people change theirs. Right. Um, but I'm on the talk a lot. I love the talk, and okay. I do I do respond to DMs and Instagram for questions. I'm kind of slow. I you know I got a lot on my plate, but I do get to everybody. Um, if you ask ask me something reasonable though, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, guys, you know what? It's been a great episode. I've really enjoyed it. And we just said we, she's got to come back, and we haven't even got a chance to cover so other things that we want to talk about. So we bring her back soon. But until then, this is your host, the Rope here, and I'm out of here. Peace. Bye. <laughs>